doing the will of the Father begins with listening to the message of His Son. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, that's the heart of it. That's where obedience to the Father begins. And those who will do the Father's will by listening to the Son, they are part now of the family of Jesus. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Today we continue a message we began last time called An Evil Generation and the Family of God, taking a look at the surprising people who we may find in the family of God. And Jonathan, if I heard you correctly, it sounds like you're saying one of the indicators that someone actually does belong in God's family is they're a person who is going to actually listen to the Word of God, and probably even more than listen, but even obey that. Well, that's absolutely right. Actually, throughout Scripture, we find again and again that God prizes and delights in those who will listen to His voice in His Word and respond in faith. And of course, because we're unable to save ourselves, because we're unable to do anything to earn our own salvation, that's at the very heart of the message of the gospel, where everything begins for us with God is listening to his message of salvation, receiving that by faith and responding to it with then joyful obedience as well. So listening is key. Well, I hope that you will stay listening with us today as we continue our message in Evil Generation and the Family of God. We're in Matthew chapter 12, so grab a Bible, join us there. Here is Jonathan. There is this clear distinction between those who heed Jesus' word and those who will not, first, when it comes to their judicial standing, when it comes to the judgment. Second, there is a clear and deepening chasm between the two groups when it comes to their spiritual vulnerability. Verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the state of that person is worse than at the first. So it will be with this generation. I don't know if you've ever been in the situation of being a landlord who has to manage tenants, and in particular, bad tenants. I'm sure some listening have been in that very place before. I saw on a news feed the other day a piece about a landlord who was selling a house that had been tenanted. It looked like a very nice suburban home from the outside, quite large, well-situated, but on the inside, as the pictures were shown, it was an unbelievable disaster, an unmitigated disaster, filthy, every surface and finish scratched, damaged, graffitied. The house was actually destroyed. It was basically a teardown. And the owner had simply given up and was selling in despair. Now, Jesus here, he is speaking about the worst tenants you could possibly imagine. Tenants not of homes, of real estate, but of hearts. Jesus has been moving through territory where evil spirits have been occupying human hearts and have had influence in the community, and he has gone through preaching the word and casting out demons, and as he has done so, these evil spirits have been driven out and driven back. But just because Jesus has driven out demons and just because they have fled from before him, it doesn't mean that the people who have been liberated have come to saving faith, have actually received him. And so here is a danger that he wants the people to see and understand. 
If you leave a spiritual vacuum when the presence of evil departs from before Jesus, if Jesus drives back the evil but then the people do not receive him, there is now a vacuum and that's a very dangerous thing. You see that house I mentioned, some unsuspecting buyer could, could snap it up perhaps as a good investment opportunity, no doubt at a good price, paint it. Fix it up, put in new floors and bathrooms, a new kitchen, get the landscaping in order, and then put it back on the rental market. The old tenant could see the ad and see how nice the house looks and get a little homesick and say to his friends, hey, you know, my, my old place there, it's up for rent again. Want to go in together on the rent? <laughs> Be a real party, wouldn't it, if we moved in all together? And so they show up with their clutter and their mess and their bad habits and soon the house is even more filthy and more destroyed than it was before. Jesus here, he is warning of the danger of exposure to him and to his word without a believing response. You see, the presence of Jesus and the word of Jesus, the work of Jesus, it pushes back the forces of darkness. There's no question about that. When Jesus comes to a place, the evil spirits, they know that they are no match for him. And in those instances where a spirit has oppressed an individual and Jesus sets them free, the evil spirit flees. He did that earlier in the same chapter. But if the exposure to Jesus is just temporary, if the people who experience his presence in some way do not heed his word and turn from sin and respond in faith, if there's not that kind of response, what is left is a spiritual vacuum, a spiritual vulnerability. And notice here, I think this is quite significant. Jesus is not just speaking of the individual who has been released from demon oppression. He is addressing here the whole generation who have been exposed to his word and to his work. End of verse 45. The last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Much more wide implication, a much wider implication. The generation, the crowd, had heard the word of Jesus, had encountered Jesus in some way, had benefited, it seems, from the spiritual impact of his presence in their community, but now they were all vulnerable. As we zoom out from this incident and consider the principle in light of our wider understanding of, of the Scriptures in light of the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, I think the point here comes into a bit of a sharper focus for us here today. We understand in light of the rest of the New Testament that when a person turns from sin and trusts in Christ, he, he gives his Holy Spirit to live within us. Jesus comes to indwell his people by his spirit. And so the, the spiritual vacuum in the age of the spirit, in the age of the church, it is filled and the house is occupied by a new tenant. And this tenant will not be displaced by spiritual squatters. But the warning here for listeners today is significant. If you've heard the word of Jesus... If you have perhaps been around the church long enough to have seen something and experienced something of the power of Jesus among his people, if you've had contact and exposure to Jesus Christ, perhaps growing up in a Christian home, I think that's a key example. Perhaps being among friends who are believers for some time. If that's you, you've heard the word of Jesus, you've seen something of the work of Jesus, but you've not made your own response to Jesus. 
a response of repentance and faith, I think these words are words of warning. The whole evil generation, verse 45, the whole generation who had an encounter with Jesus but did not receive his word, their final state was worse than their first state. Isn't that sobering? They had experienced something of the spiritual benefits of the influence and power of Jesus, but they hadn't received him. He'd impacted their community, driven back the forces of evil, but they did not welcome him into their heart. And in the end, says Jesus, it was worse for them than if they'd never met him. In the end, an experience of Jesus that is not personal and saving, an experience that does not lead to repentance and faith, it's more harm than good. Isn't that sobering to think that? The last state of that person, says Jesus, is worse than the first. As I've reflected on these sobering words in recent days, it struck me how profoundly relevant they are how insightful they are, actually, to the experience of so many. You know, I, I would observe, I think there's no one more spiritually miserable in this world than the person who has had close contact with Jesus Christ, but who has refused to respond to Him in repentance and faith. I wonder if you've seen this. I expect you, you perhaps have. I wonder, frankly, for some listening, if this is your personal situation even today. I think of those who've grown up in Christian homes, who have heard the Word of God, who have spent time among believers over years, who have been part of a church community, who have seen the work of Jesus among His people and repeatedly heard the Word of Jesus but have not made that personal response, but instead have backed away, have wandered off. There has been something of the experience of the presence and power of Jesus in their, in their life. They've, they've seen something. They've perhaps even known something of the protection of living in a Christian home or being part of a church community, and there's a spiritual protection in that, perhaps as a young person, as a child. But then they've wandered away, no real response to Jesus, perhaps an emphatic rejection of Jesus. And as that person wanders away, they are spiritually vulnerable, aren't they? a prime target for the evil one. And if there's no turning back, no personal response to Jesus, no repentance, no faith, the end result is worse. Worse than if that person had never heard anything, had never had the experience. Now, for some of us, we know people in this situation. You've got someone in mind right now, and this is the profile, and this resonates. We know loved ones in this situation, and it's a cause for us, I think, to redouble our prayers for them as we listen to these words of Jesus. For some, this is actually you. This is your situation in your heart, and you know it as you listen. And I take it that Jesus says this to us, gives us this very stark assessment. He does it to wake you up, to wake up those who are failing to respond but who know to those who are embracing a very dark future, who are leaving themselves open to the powers of darkness in this way. And if that's you, won't you please wake up? Would you wake up today? Won't you hear the word of Jesus? Won't you turn from sin? Won't you trust in him? Why won't you do that? What's holding you back? 
Won't you find in him forgiveness and life and spiritual safety? Why not come back from that place of vulnerability and frankly of danger? We're really some powerful questions as we hit the pause button right here on Encounter the Truth. You know, maybe as you think about those questions that Jonathan just asked, you've come to the point where you are ready to trust Jesus. You recognize you've not done that yet, but you'd like to now. I hope you'll contact us here at Encounter the Truth. We'd love to talk with you about how you can begin that relationship with Jesus and help you get started following him. You can contact us through our website. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org and click on the contact link, or even better, give us a call. Our number is one 833 truth That's 1-833-998-7884. Well, if you joined us a little bit late, we are in the book of Matthew, or in chapter 12, as we continue our message, An Evil Generation and the Family of God. Here is Jonathan. The fault line is becoming ever more pronounced. There's a clear distinction between those who heed the word of Jesus and those who will not do so. A distinction in terms of judicial standing, in terms of spiritual vulnerability, and finally in terms of relational belonging. Verse 40. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' family, his mother and her sons by Joseph, they arrive at the place where Jesus is speaking to the people. They obviously want his attention. Perhaps there's a family meal prepared and they want Jesus to come. Maybe there's an important family discussion, a matter that they need to address. They want his input. Perhaps there's a family emergency, an elderly aunt or something has fallen ill. Who knows? But they're there, and they're clearly hoping that Jesus might now step away from his public teaching just for a moment, step away from the crowds for a time, and give them some dedicated attention as his family, as his kin. But Jesus doesn't step aside right away. In fact, he uses the request to make a point, one that fits his teaching agenda and his focus very well. He uses the opportunity to address the question of belonging, of acceptance, of who it is that counts as his true people. Remember, he's been tracing this line here, the the chasm line, the line between those who are with him and those who are against him, those who listen to him and those who reject his word. And having majored on the theme of who is on the wrong side of the line, he now focuses more positively on who is on the right side of the line, those who are truly with him. And strikingly, significantly, he insists that those who are with him count as his true family. He stretches out his hand, verse 40, toward the disciples, to those who are his followers, who are committed to him, those who are learners at his feet. That's what a disciple is. It is a learner. And he says, these are my family. Think back to the scribes and the Pharisees, who in verse 38 called Jesus teacher, but then demonstrated that they had no intention of learning anything from him. And so they they were on the wrong side of the line. But those who learn from Jesus, those who are his disciples, they are in an entirely different place. They are his true family, his mother and his brothers. 
his siblings, Jesus says, verse 50, that whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Well, it's clear from the whole shape of the gospel account that doing the will of the Father begins with listening to the message of his Son. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, that's the heart of it. That's where obedience to the Father begins. And those who will do the Father's will by listening to the Son, they are part now of the family of Jesus. Now, friends, this is a very wonderful and a very, very precious truth. And the implications of it, they reach so far. We could do a whole sermon series on this. You see, what we are being told here is that coming to Christ is not about coming to a religion or coming to a new set of guidelines for behavior or rules for living. It's not about joining a club or a cult. No, coming to Christ is about being welcomed into a family. When we hear the word of Jesus and choose by his grace to listen, to learn, to respond, Jesus doesn't simply take us on as pupils, as students, even as apprentices or interns. He takes us on as family, his near and dear, his kin. You see, the, the problem that Jesus came to solve is that humanity is alienated from God. That's the fundamental problem. Because our bond with our Creator is broken due to our sin, all our other relationships are disrupted as well. We saw how that happened right back in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve rebelled against God and became separated from Him in sin. Their own relationship with each other suffered. Their intimacy was diminished. Adam quickly turned on Eve, passing on her the blame for all that had happened. And the, the story, it's been echoed down through the ages in fractured relationships on every side. We are a people surrounded by relational dysfunction and alienation, most fundamentally when it comes to our relationship with God himself. And Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father by dying in our place, taking the punishment for our wrongdoing and making us right with God as we trust in him. And when that happens, when our relationship with God is restored, it becomes possible for us to relate in a new way with others who have been made right with God, we enter into a community, a new community, a family. And within that family, relationships operate in a different way and on a different level. They're not perfect, the side of heaven, that's for sure. Of course they're not. But they are also unlike anything else this world knows. I think we're all very well aware that we are today living in an age of profound isolation even before the pandemic came and had its isolating impact on us, which has been very profound, as we know, even before COVID, we had become a tragically isolated people. The age of social media gives this illusion of connectedness, but virtual interaction is a very poor substitute for real time together. And much of the time, many of us are functionally very apart. I'm told that there is a crisis of loneliness and isolation impacting our teens and our young people at the present time. Never has a generation been more connected in theory. Technology has done that. But never has a generation been more isolated and apart. I think I've mentioned before the rather intriguing fact that two or three years ago, the UK government appointed a government minister for loneliness having recognized the epidemic proportions of the problem in that country. A survey conducted not so long ago in the United States found that nearly half of Americans report feeling alone. 
Two in five say that their relationships at least sometimes are not meaningful and they are isolated from others. The world can be a lonely place and many would say it is getting lonelier. But wonderfully, in place of isolation, Jesus gives community. In place of rejection, he shows us acceptance. In the place of chronic loneliness within this world, Jesus offers vital friendships with countless brothers and sisters. And any of us who have walked with Christ for any length of time, we know the specialness of this. We know the joy of it. We have seen this community come together and count in meaningful ways in times of need when the family of God have stepped in to care for the hurting and the vulnerable in practical ways. We've seen friendships span the generations and endure through the decades. We've known the loving concern and the prayers. We've seen it. We've felt it. We've experienced it. It is a wonderful thing. And if you're not yet part of the family of God, consider the invitation and the opportunity that Jesus sets before you. I don't know your life situation at all, but this may be something that is resonating with your heart as we speak about these things because this is something that you need. (laughs) Frankly, you're lonely. You're isolated. And true community, the invitation to be part of this family, it's attractive to you. Maybe you've had very little experience of true community in your lifetime. Maybe your experience of family has been limited or painful in some way, tinged by sadness. And the thought of being part of the family of Jesus, it touches your heart in some way. It appeals to you as well it should. Well, friend, if that is you today, do not delay. Listen to Jesus and his word. Respond by turning from sin and trusting in him. Become his disciple and he will welcome you into his family. That's his invitation to you even today. And for us who do belong to the family, it's a reminder for us to delight in this extraordinary privilege that is ours, to be called the family of Jesus Christ, to be part of this together. It's an amazing thing, actually, to be able to go anywhere in the world and find people with whom you share this very deep bond, to find a welcome and a kinship. It's a wonderful thing to be part of a community where people who wouldn't naturally rub shoulders with one another or naturally even get along suddenly love one another and care for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course, this is a reminder for us to prize one another and care for one another as a family in the Lord. We won't always do that well. We fail in this in all kinds of ways. We've got lots of room to grow. But the privilege of our family relationship with one another in Christ means that we we do care for one another and we're called to. It means that we bear one another's burdens and we must do that. We pray for one another and we need to be faithful in that. We're there for one another. We spend time with one another. We offer hospitality to one another. We're family. And that's part of the package. But what a contrast this is to those standing on the other side of the chasm. Those who reject Jesus and are in that precarious situation of facing judgment, spiritually vulnerable to the forces of evil, but notice the contrast, those who will learn from Jesus, enjoy the protection of family, enjoy the warmth and fellowship of life within the family. It is an utter contrast. Friends, what a privilege it is to know Jesus and learn from him, to be with him on this side of the line, but if you don't, I close with this. If you don't, if you're still 
standing on the other side of the line as the gap widens, what is it that's holding you back? What is causing you to delay? Won't you come over by faith while you still can? Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, an evil generation and the family of God. One of the messages in our series, Living as Kingdom People. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in our series, you can always go and listen online. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. And why we get to listen for free on the app, online, or on the radio, there is a cost to bring you Jonathan's teaching each day. And as you give a gift of support of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you three little books written by Tim Keller on birth, marriage, and death. Three of the significant milestones that many will face. And these books are our gift to you as our way of saying thanks for your support. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.